Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. About 35 years ago, God told me that um, when I went to a church on Sunday morning, I wasn't to preach my favorite message or to teach my favorite subject, but ask the Lord what he would say if he was here this morning. So I brought him with me to talk to you this morning. (laughs) And um, we have done this in nation after nation around the world for the last 35 years. Um, This is not all the time of my ministry, but that's when God started speaking to me in that way. Uh, This this year I'm celebrating 62 years of ministry. And and I'm a, a year younger than... Than Greg's, uh, than Greg's dad was he? I just found out he's older than me. I'll, I'll salute you, sir. <laughs> Amen. And um, but uh, we're still going strong, um, believing God for great things. Uh, all three of our children are in the ministry. Tim is the president of the Christian International. Uh, Tom and Jane, pastor of the head local church, have done it for the last 32 years. Travel worldwide. And then my daughter is the um, manager of the office and also administrator and secretary for me since um, my wife went on to off to heaven. And um, so um, then I got um, all 11 grandchildren are serving in God and the 16 great-grandchildren. Praise God. Amen. I tell people the prophetic's very productive. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so I want to share a few things I really felt the Lord said that... Um, you know, I discover as I travel the world that um, there are churches that are there because, for instance, uh, maybe the Lutherans or the Baptists or the Methodists, they say, we need a church over this side of town. So they plant a church. <clears throat> and then God blesses according to your word. How many know the Bible says in, um, uh, I believe it's Mark, uh, the last chapter, says, they went everywhere preaching the word, and the Lord worked with them confirming the word. I think the hardest thing for young ministers to learn is that God's not interested in confirming you, but he will confirm his word. People, I've heard preachers say, I said this, I did this, God, you got to back me up. God says, no, I only back up my word. <laughs> he said, but, 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 but I'll be embarrassed. He says, good, you need to be humbled. You know? <laughs> so um, I found out I couldn't make God go on my plans and confirm me, but he is interested in confirming his word. And so... Uh, we want to see that word go forth. So I've asked the Lord to you know, share with me, and I've, I've done this, I said, nation after nation. And um, we started out uh, my, this ministry, uh, we celebrated last uh, September, October uh, 2014, my 6080 was 60 years of ministry, 80 years of living. Now it's a couple of years later. But we celebrate because. God has done great things. We started out small. How many know that everything God does starts small and grows from there? You know, the only place you start at the top is digging a hole. And uh, (laughs) so many young people today want to start at the top right off the start. You don't get there overnight. And if you study your Bible, every man of God that went suddenly into success and suddenly to the top like Saul, who went from just a young man to king of Israel, that when he did that, he failed and and lost the kingdom and his generational. But David went through a 17-year process, and when he got there, he stayed faithful. You know, 
it's better that God takes you through the process. I tell people my first 30 years of ministry of being a pastor for six years, evangelist for three years, teacher and professor in a Bible college for five years, built Christian International undergraduate and graduate uh, extension college and university work. I said those were my preparation years, and the last 30 years has been more of the ministry because it wasn't until 83, uh, many, many years after I saved, that I realized that God had called me for a purpose. There's one little phrase in my prophecy that said, Yea, my son, I've kept you under my own purpose. This has got quite an echo in it. Can you fix it? Is it echoey out there to you? It's echoey up here. Okay. As long as it's you're hearing okay. Amen. <clears throat> By the way, this young man here, uh, going back there, I, I wanted the group to have a special song with a special rhythm, with special words, and they didn't have it, so he just wrote it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, Amen. So, I, I love it when they can do that, praise God. How many were there last night? Great, great. All warriors, amen? <laughs> I think we wore our drummer out last night. I mean, he, he was... <laughs> but I, was, I wouldn't let him stop. I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> amen. There's something about it, you know, because, you know, what we're doing when we was doing that, we're, we're cleaning the field, of no, de- no demons left, and we're going by and shooting the wounded. Yeah, you know, it's, God told Joshua, God told Joshua and the children of Israel through Moses, he said, when you go in, you're to wipe them out. says, have no mercy on them. And you've got to quit having any mercy on the devil. He has no mercy on you. And so we, we, we have no mercy on the devil. We're out to be devil destroyers. Come on, devil killers. Amen. And uh, you want to be the devil's biggest nightmare. Every, every, every morning he wakes up. You know, he says, oh, no, they're awake again. <laughs> but instead of that, he sleeps into noon, noon too comfortably. But um, God is raising up an army, not an old folks home. God is raising up an eternal people, not an eternal vacation people. And most people put forward to go to heaven to be good for nothing. <clears throat> but you don't know what busy activity and ministry building and accomplishing and fulfilling is till you get to eternity. Why do you think God waits 6,000 years to call out a special people to take with him for eternal purpose and he didn't have anything planned for you to do? Amen. I've heard, I've heard business people and other people say, well, it's going to be very, you know, they're just going to sit around praise all day. That sounds like, you know, praise, 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 going to praise forever. And that's all we're going to do. And it's be a halo overhead, float around, say hallelujah, hallelujah. So that doesn't sound, no, no. There's going to be building, establishing, doing, fulfilling beyond your imagination. I said beyond your imagination. And he'll pull on every one of the gifts and graces he put within you to fulfill it. So you're not preparing just for time alone. You're preparing for eternity. Amen. You're in a forever church. <laughs> the body of Christ is forever. You know, I, I've said that to people. I said, if you're a member of the church, you're a member of the church forever. And so many people look so sad. But thank God, the church is forever. There's a certain amount element in the United States called, they, some of them are nice, but some of them are rebellious, home churches because they don't want to go to the church. They don't want to waste their money spending on buildings and things. They're just going to serve the Lord. And most of them never accomplish anything except become selfish and separated unto themselves. But God built a church. You know, in Leviticus 26, 8, it says, five of you 
go to war, you'll kill 100. But tw if you get 100 of you, uh, 20 of you, uh, what is it, 100, 100 of you will kill 10,000. And so what it is, five of us get 20 soldiers each. But if we join us to 100, we get 100 soldiers each we kill. Amen? We, we exponentially multiply our power. There's a purpose for coming to church. Every once in a while, you need to remind yourself, why do I go to church? Amen? Because the body needs to come together. No member of the body was made for itself. I thank God for my eyeball, but I don't expect my eyeball to say, well, I'm an eyeball. i got to do my thing, jump out here and run around looking. <laughs> this. I want it to stick with the body. Amen? <laughs> my hand, you know, it wants to do it. But it's been, every member of the body is designed to contribute to the success of the whole. Are you with me? Yeah. Your heart, your lungs, your spleen, your, uh, your liver, you know, whatever. I mean, backbone, you know, you know and, and feet, you know, we're all, Paul says we're all members like of the natural body. You know, and my feet, you know, they've never been on top except a few times I flipped over. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, but they, they never get any relief. And every new pound I put on, they yell a little more. But, you know, and my back's never been up front to see what's going on, right? My ear has never seen a thing. It just doesn't see anything. My eye has never said a word, you know, and, and, and my nose doesn't hear or see, but it sure smells those things. See, everybody, each one of you have a specialty, and no two are exactly alike. I mean, they proven that by fingerprint, voice print, all kind of thing. In fact, when God made you, he made a brand new mold. When he finished with you, he threw it away and said, never again. <laughs> Take that according to your self-image, I guess. <laughs> but God, God called us individually. I mean, that's scientifically proven, and it's spiritually true. We are members in particular. But here's one thing. We all have the same chemical elements. I remember studying it out when I wrote my bachelor's thesis on God's earth man. I discovered, I think it's 11 or 15. Who knows? If you don't know, I'll just tell you any number. But, but I think it's 11 or 15 chemical elements that we're all made up of. Whether you're black, white, purple, green, or yellow, you're all made of these same chemical elements. I remember most of it was hot air. Hydrogen, oxygen, you know, a lot of hot air. Strike a match, we all blow up. But... Uh, but, to, but we all have the same members, but different arrangement. Amen? How many's got a, a school picture when you was in the fourth, fifth grade? Or high, how many's got a picture? Only one, only Julie's. Only one's got, no, you got, but how many, my wife, when we got married, had this picture when she was in the fifth grade. And about 30 all girls, you know, and most of them are dark-headed. And uh, she said, find me. Now, Luke, look, look, that you, you know, how many can find you in your picture of a whole lot of people? <laughs> you, got, you got a nose, you got eyes, you got ears, you got the same thing everybody else got. How come you're different? How many know you're one of a kind in, in six billion? I don't, know who's, I don't know how God's set your DNA to where everybody's got a different fingerprint, a different imprint. Either angels are awful busy with babies being formed or else God's got a divine order that just multiplies. Some things I don't worry about. It's not my problem. It's his. You know, like some people don't believe in the resurrection because they can't figure out how God's going to resurrect the body. It's been dead for a thousand years. I said, that's his problem. He's the one who said it. And he's scientific enough to know how to do it. 
I said, besides, maybe it's just like Jurassic Park. Angels get one cell from each one. When they resurrect, they say, boom, this creates a new body. I don't know, but he's got it all figured out. I don't, you know, trouble with most Americans and probably Aussies too, we want to understand it. We're, 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 and sometimes people need a head bypass. You know, I don't even understand how planes fly. You know, law of aerodynamics. I got on that plane in L.A., and for 15 hours, 14-something hours, it just flew, stayed in the air, and the law of gravity said, come down, come down, come down. Whatever goes up has got to what? Come down. But thank God the law of aerodynamics, you know, lift and thrust, it lifted up, it thrusted it forward, and it came down right. See, people ask me, how was your flight? I said, it's great. We came up, we stayed up, and came down right. Good flight. <laughs> Amen. You know, I don't understand it. I don't even know how when I ate pig and chicken, cow, it, I don't turn into it. It turns into me. How many is eating pig, bacon, ham, chicken, steak, and it turns into you? Now, when I, I eat green vegetables, white vegetables, yellow vegetables, and they turn into my skin color. My African brother can eat them, they turn into his skin color. And they'll, you know, I don't know how it works. I just eat. You can tell I do. Amen. <laughs> I've been working on getting rid of my archbishop, go back just to being a bishop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard to fight Mother Nature. All right. <laughs> now, a few things before I get into this. Your, this church is called for a purpose. I started to tell you at the start. Certain churches are planted by denomination, and God will work. If a, bat, if a Lutheran preaches like their forefather did, their founder, Martin Luther, justification by faith, what will happen? They'll get justified by faith. And then if a Baptist starts a church and adds water baptism by immersion, they'll get justified by faith and baptized in water. If a holiness starts a church, they'll get justified by faith, baptized in water, and holy sanctified and set apart to God. And then if a Pentecostal, you know, starts a church, they'll have all that plus talking in tongues. And then right on down the line, whatever we preach, God honors it. That's the reason I tell preachers, don't get pastors. Don't get set of the congregation. You produced them <laughs> by your preaching. Come on. He said, don't get upset at your kids. You birthed them and raised them. <laughs> don't look so sad. All right. <laughs> now, and so, but then there are churches that God raises up for his own purpose. In other words, God says, I want to accomplish this in this area for this time to fulfill my purpose. So I'm raising this church up to fulfill my purpose. You're here on God's purpose. This was not raised up just so Brad and Sarah can have a place to preach and you could have a place to come and worship in a unique, wonderful worship and praise. You're here on purpose to be a member of a body of people that's called to accomplish a purpose in this community, in this area, in this time for God's purpose. And you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And God's going to add people to it. You didn't come just to be a spectator. Come to be a participator or some kind of good tater. Amen. <laughs> you've come to be a part of a body. How many know... If your body's produced something, and everybody's designed to accomplish something, birds are designed to fly, fish to swim in water, 
land animals and man on earth and be breathe there. Your body is designed to accomplish your purpose and be able to function in your area. And if you've got a purpose, you're going to have people that are come to this church that are like vision, like calling, like minded, that they can fit and flow and be activated and grow and mature till this body can be the body. If it needs to go in the heavenlies like the eagle or if it needs to roar like the lion or whatever it is, it will accomplish it because it's got the right body for the right purpose to fulfill God's will. Amen. Now, God gives numbers and success to be kingdom influencers. Some churches are called to go to the thousands. And if they are really listening to God, they're there to be an influence on the, king, on the community and on the state because politicians look at them for votes. You know, I mean, like the scripture says in Proverbs, the poor man makes a statement of wisdom. Nobody listens. Rich man makes the same statement. Everybody says, oh, oh, so great. When you, and God wants to give wealth to some. There's a couple of you right in this building that God wants to make multi-millions out of. Not to get more yachts and boats and cars and houses, but to have an influence on God's people and upon the world to be kingdom influencers because they see you're successful and they'll listen to you and they'll be impressed by you. Because God's raised up kingdom influencers. And God raised up some churches to have thousands in order that they may be, have a kingdom influence. Many of them don't do it. They just get big. But numbers never impressed God, and he never needed numbers to fulfill his will. Thank God for numbers, you know. And, but you got to decide what your purpose is. Now, I want to talk to you about a church that's going to grow and succeed. Right now, we're, we're working at Christian International to find ways for a prophetic apostolic church to also grow in numbers. Amen. And what I discovered, I was just at the uh, church in... Uh, Daytona Beach, Apostle uh, Dr. Tim and I were there, and I was sitting there and I noticed, I said, ah, I see now why we lose a lot of members and they don't stick, because they had worship for an hour and ten minutes. I mean, it was intense, and I thought, this is marathon worship, 26 mile, you know, most people can't stand and worship for an hour and a half or an hour, and I said, we have people come in, they're just sprinters one milers or 10 milers and they try to keep up this marathon worship and after about a month or two or three they said I just can't do it and they drop out come on and then we try to make marines out of all of them come on marines or <laughs> air force <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, but you know if you take a hundred soldiers decide to go to be marines what is it, about 20 of them make it out of a hundred to actually make the marine 15 to 20 out of 100. You know, and I, I, I'm like my brother. I always try to make everybody frontline soldiers, Marines. But all of a sudden, I realized there's three divisions in the Army of the Lord. There's the preaching division. There's the paying division. There's the preach, uh, paying division. Amen. There's the seven mountains people. There's the five-fold ministry. And then there's the intercessors. And what I discovered is they also they shows 10 or 12 military personnel to keep one soldier on the front lines. Then it takes all these others out there uh, and the plants building the tanks, the planes, the cars, and then other things, I mean, the trucks and the bullets to keep them going, uniforms. Then in the, in the military, everybody's not front line. They are actual cooks. Soldiers actually have to eat. Come on. You can't fight a war on an empty stomach too good. 
Somebody's got to drive the truck up there with the ammunition. They can't, you know, so somebody's going to be truck drivers, cooks, clerks, but they're army. Now, the difference was when World War II started after bombing Pearl Harbor, we started factories, we built it, but everybody was conscious that they're working to win the war. So what we got to get the church conscious, whether you're in business, government, education, regardless whether you're working for Walmart or, or you're working in the streets or, or you're top of an executive of a billion dollar company, you have to realize, I am working to win the war. See, everybody needs to be conscious, whether you're the cook, whether you're the clerk, whether you're the truck driver, whether you're shooting the bullets, whether you're the general or you're the sergeant, but you need to realize you are army. Come on, I said, you are army. And we all need to have our armor on. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, you know, a shield of faith, and the combat boots, you know, to be able to march in and walk in, all the rest. We, we need it all, and we need our weapons of warfare. But everybody is not on the front line. So I discovered I can't make everybody frontline soldiers or Marines. There's only a few good men. And then I was realizing if we try to make everyone Marines or frontline soldiers, then we're going to be like Sam says, give me a few good men. And so I, I've started telling them, if you've decided that's kind of church you are, just a Marine church, then you're going to have 50 to 150 people indefinitely, and fewer fewer will drop out. But we can have our Marine division. We can have our cook division. We can have our truck driver division. You know, everybody's got a part to play. You know, and I used to kind of look down on those that weren't as fired up and thrilled up and charged up as I was. But I realized we're not all called to do the same thing. But we are called to be soldiers. Paul said, be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we need to realize you're not a civilian anymore. You're in the army. I know you can't send to take commands, but uh, I was talking to my brother over there as a Marine. I said, I wish I could take every one of my young men, put them six months of military training with a good old drill sergeant. <laughs> then I could work with them a lot better when I got them back. Amen? Because most Americans, and probably Oz is the same way, are independent. Don't tell me what to do. I'll just be led of the spirit. Spooky spirituals. You know? And I, I always carry my lead pencils with me. And says, I, I said, we need the toilets clean. But well, I came to Bible college to get educated. I don't feel lead. I said, fill this lead pencil. Now go do that. <laughs> you felt lead. Now go. <laughs> Tom has a great big lead deal on his desk to help people understand that. <laughs> now, you know, I was born again. I started my Christian life in 1950. Uh, July 29th on my birthday and I tell people I was started my Christian life in the middle of the last century of the last millennial is that right is this the third millennial I was born again in the second millennial in the middle of the year of July amen I, I know you, you don't have your computer here okay <laughs> now so that means this church is here on purpose so if some of you come in with preconceived ideas how the Brad's to run the church, you might have to really get with him and pray and see what his vision is and what this church is supposed to be. Are you with me? We want to be of the same mind. Have you, have you got a vision you've written out? Have you ever written out a vision? 
You got a vision written out, purpose for who we are. You need to understand that. And you say, well, I, I'm just called to worship and praise God and not do anything. Well, there's churches like that around. You can just go and they won't require anything of you. Just bless you, bless you, bless you. And you got grace to live in a way you want, go anywhere you want, do anything you want. That's your church. Join it. But if you're called to be a soldier and know your place in the body of Christ and be beneficial and be a blessing, then you want to go to a church where they'll train you and equip you. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And this church is called to be an equipping church. Jesus gave apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, not just to preach great messages and write books and travel the world. That's part of it. But he said he gave them for the equipping of the saints. How many saints we have here? Good, see. How many realize we all need equipped? And the five-fold ministry is to equip you. This is to be an equipping center, but it's also a blessing center. It's also a hospital. Some of you just get wounded in an accident, and we have to bring you in and counsel you and heal you and deliver you and send you back to the front line. <laughs> See, you don't live in a hospital. Unless you come to the place where we just put you to a nursing home and say, somebody take care of them, you know. God wants us active and alive. And I tell people, you got to live till you die. Some people get 60, 70, 80, and they just go ahead and die waiting for somebody to bury them. You can become a real stinker doing that. All right, now. Um, let me just say four things I feel that you need to know to grow. And it just, this is just a little extra. We'll get to more of the message later. How many has got more time? You got money? Okay, good. Some of you are overloaded. We'll pass the pan again. All right, now. But I was just thinking four simple things. How many were born in this world? It's uh, a couple happened on a stunt by an old buzzard. Okay, um, you're, you're born in this world. And there's four things you have to do to become a grown person. Eat, drink, exercise, and rest. Amen? You got to eat food. Now, Hebrews chapter 5 says milk belongs to babes. But strong meat belongs to those who have exercised their senses and are grown and mature enough to have teeth to chew it. Now, you know, little Zara, Zara, I noticed they're not trying to feed her steak right now. Because she's still probably on milk and baby food. How old is she? Oh, she's two years. Okay. Oh, yeah. Body trained? Wow, you're good parents. Amen. <laughs> you know, but a two-month-old baby, you don't start feeding food. They're on milk. And we try to bring new converts in and make them where we're at overnight. You need a progressive. We need somehow or another to progressively bring them in. I know one of my spiritual sons is Guillermo Maldonado in Miami, Florida. When he, he asked me to be his bishop and train him in the prophetic because he had the miracles. He has more miracles than Benny Hinn has. And, but he wanted to know the prophetic. So they came up, and we trained him in the prophetic. Then I took Tim, and I went down and trained his elders in the prophetic. And they had about 1,500 people at the time. And they started growing and expanding and extending. Now he's got 23,000. He's got 4,000, he calls his peace, homes of peace. And in those homes, they teach, they train, they get them filled with the Holy Ghost, they get them healed, delivered, and prophesied to in those home meetings. Now, I don't think you can do it among white folks, but the Spanish, they have tight control, and everybody follows line. 
I mean, they're the military, <laughs> and um, it works. Uh, and, 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 and they're the only place I know that the saints are doing the work of the ministry. The saints are actually, he went and said, cast out devils, prophesying, praying, and ministering, and they, and they don't get spooky spirituals and weirdos too much because if you train them right, they'll act right. You know, when we first started the prophetic ministry, we had a public time we had for every Friday night school of the Holy Spirit, and people said, what do you do when these spooky spirituals come in? I said, well, here's what happens. We had a few spooky spirituals come in. You know, they know it all. They have it all, and they come in to prophesy. We had one guy come in. He prophesied, and boy, he blasted everybody, Oral Roberts, me, and everybody else. And this, you got to do this. And, and we just let him sit down and went ahead singing, worshiping, and ministered until 2 o'clock in the morning. Next day, I got a call from him. He said, there was a prophet in your midst last night. I said, yeah, we had about 10. Which one are you thinking of? He thought he was the only one. And he said, yes, uh, it was I. And I prophesied the word of the Lord. I prophesied, and you didn't pay any attention. I said, that's right, because you didn't have the word of the Lord. You prophesied your own doctrine and your own ideas, and we didn't pay any attention to you. And the best way to frustrate the devil is ignore him. <laughs> Amen. And then, but you know, these little 25-watt bulbs will go into a Lutheran church and prophesy and minister, and they don't know how to handle it. But 25-watt bulbs come in these 500-watt bulbs. We have no problem. They feel outshined. They, don't, they, can't, they can't confuse us. They can't impress us because we all just realize we're all the same. Everybody prophesies here. Amen. Everybody heals the sick. Everybody casts out devils. Amen. And we're not specials. We're just real. We're God's people. Now, so you need to learn to eat. Now, in the natural, you have to eat a good balanced food. Uh, any nutritionist here, you know, anybody except Julie and Jane, they, I'm around them. Uh, they ate right, you know. I just eat. But, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, you have to eat nutritionally and balanced food. You can't just eat meat or just vegetables or this, that all the time. You've got you to gotta have a balanced nutrition. And emotionally, uh, in life, you have to be balanced. There's a balance. I'm talking about... A properly balanced situation. Um, how many married folks do I have here? Okay. Somebody, how many don't know whether you're getting married or what? How many found out in married life you had to learn how to get things balanced between husband's desires, wife's desires, husband's personality, wife's personality? And, and I always tell young people God puts opposites together to perfect each other in a lifetime and gives you enough love not to kill each other in the process. <laughs> I tell people after 59 years of marriage, the Lord finally told my wife, you've got him perfected. You can come on home now. <laughs> oh my. But um, now, spiritually, you need to eat the word of God, both the Logos word and the Rhema word. If you just get Logos, 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 it's good. It's necessary. But you need the living word. You need the prophetic word. You need the Rhema word. Amen. You need to eat. Eat. How many know you need to eat? Two, you need to drink. You can live longer without food than you can without water. And that's the reason you need to praise, worship, pray, and talk a lot in tongues. Your spirit language just helps you to drink. Because Jesus said, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. You have your own artesian well within inside you. 
and you can just drink to the full anytime you want to pray in tongues. Amen. I think your apostles here are the only ones I know of that God challenged to pray 24 hours straight in tongues, and one hour each, and they did it. Amen. And we started praying in tongues for one hour every day, the staff on the north side and the staff on the church. We come together and pray 8.30 to 9.30 in tongues, solid tongues, all of us praying for one hour. And if you don't understand the benefit and the value of it, get the book on 70 reasons for speaking in tongues until you're convinced you've got a million-dollar gift and you're writing five and ten-dollar checks on it. Come on. You've got a million-dollar gift in you, and you're not using it. I mean, it's, it's the greatest, best, most wonderful, glorious gift the Holy Spirit could find in heaven to bless the church with. So on the day of Pentecost, he brought the best gift he could. And Jesus said, probably, I'm going to send it to you, going to send it to you. And he brought it to them, their own spirit language. Amen? And you need, to, you need to really know the value in that. So many benefits, so many benefits. Then uh, three, you need to exercise. How many know if you eat and drink and don't exercise, you become a wonderful, glorious blob? <laughs> Amen? You need to exercise. Move about. Somebody says, where do you get your exercise? I said, running through airports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you need exercise program. And, and you need to exercise where all the body and, and organs and everything get jiggled and jogged and whatever they need to be exercised. Amen? But how many know you need to exercise in the spirit realm? You need to have the gifts of the Spirit operating. You need to witness. And you do all the other things that exercises your spiritual man or your spiritual area. And even in married life, you need to exercise. Uh, one of the first words I gave for the word of the Lord for the year in 1988 was update, relate, and activate. Now, let's see. How many married folks we had here? Let's see. What does that mean, Ben? Halfway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing him. <laughs> Amen. But you know what I discovered uh, in our married life? As I said, we had 59 glorious years. And every, about every five years, we had to update, relate, and activate. Because I find you're not the same person the person married 10 years ago. How many change from glory to glory? And you change, and, and, and you don't mean this. You've learned something now. But then they, when your first year you got married, you got that certain look, that certain move, that certain thing. Then for the next 50 years, I know that look. I quit that 10 years ago. What's the matter with you, man? You know, you have to update. I don't mean that when I say that or act that. You know, and, you, and then every once in a while, uh, after you get two or three kids and get older, you have to just have somebody take care of the kids and go out and park and spark. Now, I was, I, I, I was preaching that, and the interpreter, I said, you have to go out and park and spark. He said, what's that? He was a young man. I said, that means you get along with your wife and act like you did before you got married. When you were, when you were romantic. Amen? See, the old saying is you got to keep them the way you got them. You know, my dad was, he was a real German and the Dutch, and um, he, he, had, he, he quit school in his sixth grade to work on a farm, and he just had no expression. I, I never heard him in my lifetime be able to say, thank you, or I love you, or he just couldn't express it. And when he got married, he, he told my mom he loved her, but he never told her again. She said, do you love me? Well, I married you, didn't I? You know, he, he just couldn't say, I love you. 
until he got saved. When he got saved, she said the first time in 30 years, she said, I love you. Amen. How many saved men we got here? You should be able to express. You know, I always tell husband and wives, don't be upset with your mate because you set the stage and they acted out. How many can shut your eyes and tell what's going on TV? Whether it's a romantic scene or they're about to kill somebody. Can you tell by the, the lighting? If you look at the lighting, the setting, you know, you set the stage. I discovered, you know, when I was working on a job for a while, I could make my wife a demon or an angel. <laughs> yeah. By words. How many know that words have life and death? I remember one time I was going through one of God's processes of killing me, you know, and um, th- we zeroed out three times our life, no hope, no future, and God was killing me and, and trying to destroy some of the old ways, and, and, you know, you felt like shut the doors, the windows, turn the gas on, goodbye, old world, goodbye. <laughs> or you run to the bathroom and pl- dive in and say, plunge me out of this world. I'm through. It's over. Goodbye. You know, we was going, I was going through real, and I was working on this job, and this guy was a, he, he was just horrible to work for. And I did some mad, had tears come to my eyes, and I get mad because tears came to my eyes, and I drive my car, and I was selling Thermofax copy machines. First time a machine came out that you could copy something without liquid. Now, boy, that's a long time ago. <laughs> Amen. Nowadays, and um, I'd gone to every business and bank and uh, to the mayor, to everybody in that area. And it was a brand new territory could be opened up. But he was said, you've got to finish that, got to finish that. When I was on commission and, you know, and he was just right her back. And I came, I remember one time I came home. Now, this is, I was probably 20, 27 years old at that time, about in my 20s. Now, I came home and I was so frustrated and uh, came in, and I said, what you been doing all day? Three kids, yeah, Tim, Tom, and Sherlin, you know, uh, all under seven years old. I said, been sitting around watching TV all day. I've been out work trying to make a living. Blah, blah, blah. And we went, got to talking and shed over pans on the counter there, and I got mad, and I just knocked them all off and walked out. I came back two hours later. Every pan was just where I knocked it. said, you put them down, you pick them up. I had a wife that didn't have a spoiled husband. She made me walk the line. I had to learn a Johnny Cash song, Because You're Mine, I Walk the Line. You know? <laughs> I see too many wives spoil their husbands, let them get by with anything, baby them, pamper them, and just spoil them like you do a child. You're not spoiling him, are you? Oh, no. <laughs> you walk the line. <laughs> But let me tell you, men, after 59 years of marriage, I finally learned how to get the last word in. Just say, yes, dear. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I was younger, I was uh, a real tease and, and a little, you know, young and immature. And I'd tell my wife, I said, you know, God made man. After that, he made woman. Woman's been after man ever since then. And I said, the first woe to man was, whoa, man. And... Uh, <laughs> she, she, she said one day, she said, honey, I was just reading the Bible, and you know, man was made out of dirt. <laughs> and she said, but woman wasn't made out of dirt. Woman was made out of refined flesh, and she's been that far ahead of him ever since. <laughs> they get smart, they let her down. <laughs> but we need to exercise, Amen. 
And by the way, men, you need to tell your wife every day how beautiful she is, even if you have to make faith statements. <laughs> and women, you need to tell your man how handsome and wonderful and how great you think he is, even though, you know, there's nothing left much that he had when you married him. <laughs> or there's too much you had got now. <laughs> but anyhow, you know, because we don't, you know, that person is still the same person. And you know, when my first child was born, my wife gained about 20 pounds, and I lost 10. And I was five foot ten and a half, and 155 pounds, and she caught up with me. And, uh, you know, and, and she got heavier and heavier. And, you know, I, I had to learn to, uh, you, you have to learn beyond the flesh. Come on. Now, right now, Brad and Sir remind me of my son, Tim and Tom and Jane. They always called them uh, Ken and Barbie, you know, the dolls. They was, he had dimples and handsome like Brad. She's blonde, beautiful like Sarah. And now they're getting grandma and grandpa six times. And the seventh is coming up. And, you know, and uh, they're still fairly good looking, but, you know, the ministry has expanded. And um, <laughs> hair's getting a little thinner. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and you have to learn to appreciate every pound you have put on. Every gray hair, every wrinkle, Amen. Don't you, Dad? Amen? At 83. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can still say, I love you. You don't have to say, I love your spirit, but can't stand your flesh. No, no. <laughs> you got to activate. You got to exercise. Amen? You're not dead yet. You just quit living. All right. <laughs> now... And that was just extra one your thing, <laughs> except a lot of obedience. Now, the last thing is rest. And, and Paul said, Hebrew says we must enter into rest, a rest of confidence, faith, get rid of anxiety, says don't worry about anything, you know, plan, look, work, but don't do things in an anxious, nervous, tension, worried, how because worry, or Robert says, worry is faith in reverse. Come on. Worry is a faith. Faith for the bad. Faith is not going to work out. Faith that is not going to take place. But faith says, I believe. And see, and let me encourage you, just a couple of you. How many has got a prayer? You're praying now that you expect God to answer. How many is some natural resources involved? Okay, let me give you an example. Help you here. Um... What's my brother here's name? What's your name? Bruce. What? Bruce. Bruce. Yeah, yeah, you got Greg's hairstyle. I noticed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, let's say Bruce comes to many. How many know that scripture in Romans ten, eight, nine, and ten? It says, "What saith it? The word is nigh thee, where? In your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Amen. The word faith. So where's the two places faith operates? Heart and mouth. Then verse 9 says that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, and we confess it with our mouth, believe in our heart, confess it with our mouths, we activate the gift of eternal life within us, right? Then verse 10, it says, for with the heart you believe under righteousness. Right relationships, right attitude, right conditioning, everything's right. Right to get prayers answered, but you don't have the prayer yet answered. Because with a mouth, with a heart you believe under rising, but with a mouth you believe under possessing. See, 
you can believe in your heart till you're blue in the face, but if you don't confess with your mouth, you can say in your heart, do you believe in Jesus? In my heart. Can you confess it? No. How many know you hard to get saved that way? You have to believe in your heart and confess. What does a, what does a minister do when he brings people, has them pray the sinner's prayer? They speak it out with their mouth. They believe it in their heart and they speak it with their mouth. So my brother comes to me and says, Bishop, I've got to have $10,000 by the end of the month. I say, so can we agree with me and pray? We'll have it. So we pray. Whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it and you have it. So we pray. So what was your first name again? What? Bruce. Bruce. I have a photographic memory. I forget to put film in it. It never develops. But <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce comes in and he says, Bishop, I've got to have that $10,000. So we agree. So okay, how do you agree? I meet him a week later. I say, Bruce, have you got your money yet? He says, no. I says, well, what are you going to do if it doesn't come in? Oh, brother, it's going to be bad. It's down the drain. I don't know what I'm going to do. It, uh, it's just going to be bankrupt, I guess. It's just, does he have faith? How many know God doesn't answer prayer? He answers faith expressed in prayer. Let me say that again. He answers faith expressed in prayer. What serve you just, Mark eleven twenty four? You know that scripture Hagen wrote. Well, he, he made it great. But what Mark eleven twenty four? What serve you desire? You got to have a desire. How many got married because you desired? A couple of you got drunk, woke up, married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what serve you desire when you pray? You see, uh, for instance, let's say that Mark desires several things. Angel comes, boom, says, Mark, give me your three greatest desires in the next three seconds, and they're yours. He says, uh, 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 you get three us. God bless you, brother. <laughs> See, it starts with desire. If you had to write out your three greatest desires, what would they be? I preached this about 40 years ago, uh, my wa- uh, that message, and my wife wrote down three things. It took 20 years for someone to be fulfilled. One of them, that our children marry in the will of God and, they, and that we'd be able to pay our staff money equal to what the world pays and uh, we wouldn't have to be worrying about money all the time. Our bills would be paid. But it all worked out. But desire. But when you, but when you write your desire down, don't say, don't try to get con God and get spiritual. Lord, I want to be so saved. You haven't witnessed anybody six months. Don't try to con God. He knows that's not a desire. That's a religious thinking, trying to sound spiritual. What is your desire? Come on. If you had to write down, how many can think of one? Two? Three? See? And see, before you ever ask God for anything, you should make sure it's cleared by the word and you believe it's God's will. Then if you know it's God's will, you know he hears you. John says, if we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. So you should pray. We run our faith by asking for so many things and not believing for anything. They didn't get that over here. I said, we ask and we don't follow through. We don't stick with it. If you ask knowing it's the will of God, then you don't give up. You say, God, thank you for it. I don't know when, where, or how, but it's coming. Amen. So how many, how many know God answers your faith? Come on, I said, God answers faith. As money is a medium of exchange for earthly things, faith is a medium of exchange for heavenly things. If you have enough faith, what can you get from heaven? What's possible if you've got faith? If you believe all things are possible. I can, 
I could buy anything man makes if I got enough money, right? I could buy me a plane, buy me a pilot. I could buy a hangar. I, I, I could pay for the gas. If I had, you know, a million dollars a month income, I could buy all that, right? If you got enough money, you could buy anything heaven's got to offer. Jesus said if you have faith, you can obtain anything heaven has to offer. Can you get salvation? Can you get healing? Can you get the Holy Spirit? Can you get revelation? Amen. And can you get all the rest? Is it all available if you what? Believe. How many how many's ever had to measure the oil in your car? You got a measuring stick? Let me give you a measuring stick for how much faith you got. If you want to know how much how many knows you can pray till you're blue in your face and pray till Jesus comes and never get your prayers answered if you don't believe. Right? If you don't believe. So how many would like to know how much faith you have? I'm going to give you a measuring stick. So Bruce wants $10,000. But when he puts up the measuring stick in, he says, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. It looks terrible. And, you know, this is good. If you want to know how you measure, if you want to know how much faith you have, listen to your mouth. What are you saying about what you've been praying about? What have you been saying? How many's got something before God that you're trying to believe for? Come on. What are you saying about it? Well, I sure hope it happens soon. I'm, I hope. Well, hope keeps you hanging in there, but hope doesn't possess it. Faith possesses it. Come on. Hope makes us not ashamed. Hope presses on, but faith possesses. And it's your mouth. Come on. Your mouth is the gauge how much you have faith. So if Bruce had faith, what would he have said to me when I said, do you have your money yet? He'd say, oh, Bishop. No problem. I got it. I'm just waiting to see how God's going to manifest it. It's mine. I've already received it. See, what's every desire? The five steps. Get them? Desire, the old King James, Mark 11, 24. Desire, pray. Ask God. Then three, believe. What do you believe? Believe it, you receive it, and you'll have it. So if you want to have it, you got to what? Receive it. To receive it, you got to believe it. To believe it, you got to pray to pray you got to have desire so it all starts with desire right like i said you wouldn't be married today if you hadn't developed a desire for that beautiful lady that handsome man right you wouldn't got saved if that hadn't been a desire or else god just knocked you down saved you and but you know <laughs> now how many want to increase your faith paul says and jude says Build up yourself in your most holy faith, but pray in your spirit language. The more you pray in your spirit language, the more you build up your faith. The more you read the word, hear the word, receive the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I always thought that said faith is the word of God. No, no. Faith is hearing, and hearing in biblical terms means hearing and obeying. Hearing and acting. There's no such thing as biblical hearing without action. No such thing as biblical faith without action. Faith without works is dead. So you can tell how much faith you have by the action you're taking and by the confession of your mouth. Wow. So how many's got a petition before God that you'll know it when it happens? I mean, you, you, you have proof of it. So what you're saying about it and what you're thinking about it. And I'll have to admit, Every time I preach this, we'd have something come up next week or two, and I'd say, boy, I don't know what we're going to do. Man, that's, we've got to have a miracle. Uh, my wife said, what would you just say? And she said, is that faith? 
She, my wife wouldn't even let me be an honest hypocrite. <laughs> she made me live with everything I preached. <laughs> Amen. Now, that's individually. And the, but now I want to talk about the church for a moment. I had a, another deal I was thought about doing, but I, I'm going to see how long this takes. Uh, I want to see this church be successful. But what is successful? It's not just numbers. Numbers does include because you need people. You need a number of people to make up a body. How I many know you need a certain number of members to make up a body? I could have a, I could have a good top, but my legs are paralyzed. I'm not going to get around too good. Amen. I could have a wonderful legs and my arms are gone, or my heart's in bad. You know, you got to have all of it working. So you need a balanced body or everything working. Now, I was asking Julie today, uh, what. What's the ingredients in a cake? Because I wanted to use it in an illustration. You see, I could I, I could ask her, okay, what's in a cake? I said, what'd she tell me? It's just a general cake. He said, um, half a cup or 120 grams of butter, uh, three uh, ca- uh, cups of sugar, four eggs, uh, three and a half cups of flour, one cup of milk, uh, one tablespoon of baking powder, and a pinch of salt and whatever flavor or whatever fruit you want in, et cetera. So, like a typical person, I say, I got it, Judy, I got it. I go home, I say, okay, I want to make a cake like Julie made. Ooh, it was so good. <laughs> so I said, what she said? She said, eggs, milk, power, bacon powder, uh, uh, flour. I said, was it, was it two eggs or four eggs or six eggs or just eggs? How about six? Uh, was, it, um, was it one cup of flour and a tablespoon of bacon powder, or was it a cup of bacon powder and a tablespoon of flour? Oh, what difference? Sorry. I had all the how many I could put all the ingredients in, but if I don't have the right proportions and balance, and then I got to put it in the oven and let it bake the right amount of time. And see, I discovered in our apostolic prophetic churches, we're not sometimes balanced. We've got a lot of worship, or we've got a lot of praying, or a lot of ministry, but we're missing some things. And then you need it in the right portion. Uh, uh, we were talking about Robert Gase, got a church in Panama City, and uh, he's the first one I've seen to really take the prophetic apostolic and build a church. He's built a 600, started another church in Orlando, getting ready to start another church somewhere else, because he's got it balanced. See, we need the worship, we need the ministry, we need the prophecy, we need the healing, we need all of this, but you can't just have it all one time. You've got to have it properly proportioned. And I believe you've got a young man here that's got the wisdom of God that's going to give it. See, well, some people say, I just want to worship. And worship leaders, they can worship all day long. But some of us get tired, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and the longer you worship, I mean, the longer we went last night, the more anointed you got some of you got physically tired but the more spiritual you got broke through you see and um and, and we we need to discover proportionally we we try to make bring everybody and make them marines overnight we try to make a marathon where we've been doing this for 10 15 20 years and we can run 26 miles no not hard to get out of breath but these other people coming in they haven't run a mile and we try to make them praise for an hour and a half and then prophesy the minister. And, and we can get them exposed to it, but we need a training program, a one night to just get out there and train. We need new converts classes to get them educated and activated, know the fundamentals. You know, we need ways to proportion it out. You can have all the ingredients, 
but if you got them out of balance. How I many know if I put a cup of baking powder and a teaspoon of flour, it's not going to be the right proportions? And if I put six or ten eggs instead of four, I mean, you can have all the ingredients, but you've got a proper proportion. And I'm just agreeing and decreeing that Brad and Sarah is going to get a download of God's wisdom and strategy like, like Gideon did for the army. And they're going to be able to, and you've got to have youth, you've got to have youth ministry. You need children's thing. God, I was glad to hear you're getting the children's ministry. And because Robert developed this children's ministry, the faith force, and man, have a, his church started growing. And he had to double, and he's doubled again. You know, and the same way in business, how many, how many work? And how many's got your own business? Anybody here got your? How many know you, you can't just do one thing. You've you got to have a proper proportion. You've got to have a sales force. You've got to have people that make the product. I mean, there's, you can't just have all sales force and nobody making the product. And you can't have everybody making a product, nobody advertising, nobody. I mean, there's got to be all of these proportions. And a lot of people go into business, 80% of businesses go bankrupt in the first five years or quit, go out of business. Because they don't learn and find out the proper proportions and that formula to make it work. How many of a formula has certain ingredients? Uh, how many drink H2O? What is that? What's the two? Two parts water, one part oxygen. Right? H2O. Now, you wouldn't want probably... H1O or OH660. <laughs> you know, everything's got a formula. Marriage has a formula. Life has a formula. Church has a formula. God has a formula for everything in his book. Amen. He has a formula for successful living. He has a formula to always be happy. Forgive everybody. You know, I believe in that scripture. Love your enemies. Drive them berserk. <laughs> you know. You got to be a quick forgiver. I mean, some of you, as three or four of you here, you got offended 30 years ago or 20 years ago, and you buried it, but you didn't forgive it. I find 90% of Christians do not grant biblical forgiveness. I would say 90% of most Christians' emotional and social problems is unforgiveness. Because we, we say, I'll bury the hatchet, but I'll leave the handle sticking out. If you ever do it again, wow, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I find husband and wives who cannot, that don't grant biblical forgiveness forgive as though it never ever happened. You've got to be able to, when you really forgive, you can think about it, talk about it, and it's as though it's talking about somebody else. You don't get rednecked, and you don't get palpitations, and you don't get your fist all doubled up. Come on. When you, see, there's three stages of forgiveness. First, you've got to forgive verbally because God said so. I, I went through a situation that just really... I was fired from a Bible college by a man that didn't like my prophesying. was afraid of me, afraid I was going to take over the Bible college. And he released me. And I thought he released me two years early. And I'm telling you, it, it, it shook me up. And I was already lined up to travel up Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, around the United States preaching. And I had to pray three days, fasted three days and three nights before I could verbally say, I forgive you. Are you with me? Then we moved back to San Antonio, Texas, where it happened. And we ended up buying a house just over the hill from where that Bible college was. And then I started building Christian National uh, Extension College. And I, had to, and I was headquartered in a commercial building downtown. And I had to drive right by that Bible college. 
where I would, could be teaching students the Word of God instead of that I was going down to a sales organization and selling products. And uh, I, I just, I'd go by there and I, I just, it just, I'd be so kind of upset. I'd, tears would come and I'd get mad because tears came. And that went on for about six months. And the Lord says, now you've got to forgive him emotionally. So finally, I forgave him from my soul. I said, Lord, I forgive him. And I got where I could meet him and say, God bless you, brother, and not mean bless you, brother. <laughs> and uh, finally, after a year, I was driving by, and I said, Lord, except for that man, I'd be teaching these young people the word of God and training them to be ministers. But instead of that, I'm out here selling his courses and, and this other stuff and stuff. And um, he said, um, you really feel you've been offended, don't you? I said, yes, I have. He took me out of that ministry because you're so petty and so small, you know. And he said, um, then you really feel like you've been hurt. Yes. Used and abused. Oh, yes. Go on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> you know. And he said, oh, I'll tell you what. Now, he, and he said it in such a way made, a believe, made me believe it. He said, I put him in your hand. You tell me what to do with him. I'll do it. You want me to kill him? You want me to have the school burned down? You tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Well, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You put him in my hand? And I thought, well, that school was going long before I came, and they'll keep going after I'm gone. And if, I, and, and if you burn the church, school down, it won't help my situation. And if you strike him blind or kill him, that won't help my situation. He said, well, why don't you just forgive him from your heart? See, you got to go mouth, soul, spirit and so I finally forgave from my heart Jesus said except you forgive from your heart your heavenly father cannot forgive you in my book I wrote on how can these things be I talk about the unforgivable sin of unforgiveness the sin that God can't forgive is unforgiveness you have to forgive from your heart and uh, so I finally forgave from my heart and I felt released I mean I, I didn't feel angry with him. I didn't have any judgments against him. I didn't need to tell everybody how bad he treated me. I was over. It was through. It was as though it was somebody else. It takes about a year to overcome a deep hurt, whether it's your mate betraying you with an adulterous affair or a child dying unexpectedly or something, or somebody really causing you to lose your money or, or fire you from a job that you thought was supposed to be, whatever it is. But you got to go through those three stages, verbally because God said so. They'd have to ask, ask an act of faith, amen? I forgive you. I forgive you. And, and then, then you got to let it work down in your soul to where you can say it and not be emotional about it. Then finally, you forgive from your spirit, and it's as though it never, ever happened. Is there forgiveness? How many has Christ forgiven? Christ has forgiven you. Wave your hand. Christ has forgiven you. And what it says, it says, forgive others even as Christ has forgiven you. Did God forgive you and say, but I remember, I remember, I remember. No, he cast them as far as the east is from the west. So when you forgive like Christ forgives, it's as though it never, ever happened. God can heal the broken heart. God can heal the damaged soul. God can restore and you're quite whole. But if you don't forgive, Paul said a root of bitterness will begin to spring up. It will defile your soul. It will change the countenance of your face. And it will destroy your life. And when I realized 
when I was in my 20s, I had to forgive a person for something. And I said, Lord, it's not fair that I got to bless those that curse me, do good for those that probably use me, and pray for my enemies, and forgive those that use and abuse me. And he said, son, when I gave you that scripture, I was not thinking about your enemies. That scripture is not for your enemies. It's for you. When I realized forgiveness was for my benefit, it helped a whole lot to be able to forgive. <coughs> Are you with me? You forgive for your own salvation, for your own healing, for your own restoration, for your own moving ahead. Amen? Now, uh, let me just close by saying this. This church is created, and God's got it over your church, the least called to do the greatest. The less called to do the most. This church will send out more ministries, develop more ministries than some churches of 20,000. Christian International Home Church is about under 300 people. But we have... 10 to 15 people out to the nations every week. We send out more people, prophets to the nations, than big major organizations. It's not how big you are, it's how productive you are and how producing you are. Amen? And I know there's a one man that's uh, well popular known that had a church of 15,000 in, um, in the Midwest and USA. And he... Um, God told him, he says, you've got a church full of babies. You made a nursery, and you never took them beyond the fundamentals. And he said, and he, and he was saying, he built this church 15,000, and he said, but God rebuked me and said, but you didn't grow them up. You just birthed them, put them in the incubator, you know, put them in the crib and gave them a bottle and, and, and kept, kept them saved, paying their tithes and going to church, that's it. But how many know Jesus said, I will build my church. Not just birth it, build it. And you can and and you and every one of us are just chicks, right? And we have a destiny to lay eggs or be chicken on the platter. <laughs> Come on. If you're a chick, your destiny is not just to be a chick. Cute and pretty. Everybody thinks you're great. You're called to lay eggs or be fried chicken on the platter. Amen. And God's been skinning some of you and quartering you and putting you in the fire and getting you ready to be served to the body of Christ. Amen. Now, this church is called to be the greatest. If I had time, I'd talk about David. One man went against Goliath and changed the nation. Come on, one man. Killed one, man, one big giant, changed the economy of the nation, changed the standing of the nation, brought freedom to the nation. Jonathan and his armor bearer went out to a Philistine fort and dared to say, God, if you want us to take a step of faith, when we expose ourselves to those Philistines, and they say, come up here and we'll show you a thing or two, then that's God saying he's going to give us the victory. Now, there's over 400 big, ugly, fighting warrior Philistines up there. And, Dave, and Jonathan is about 19 years old. His armor bearer is with him. He's got a great big club. And Jonathan's the only one has got a sword. And it says, when they said, come up, they started up believing God was going to give them the victory. Think about it. One with a sword and an armor bearer with a club, and they're going up against 400 or plus big, ugly, seasoned warriors. How many know that sounds pretty foolish? But he felt God confirmed it. So they go up, 
And the Bible says they stepped over, and this great big old Philistine came over and said, Get out of the way, boys. It's been dull up here. These Israelites have been hiding in holes and caves. They've come out. Let's have a little fun. So he goes around, and God says, Come on, boy. And, and Jonathan said, Well, come on, make my day. You know, and, and he comes over, and Jonathan was kind of like Achilles in the Troy movie, if you ever saw that. And he's moving around, boom, boom. And he cuts him down in the knees, rams the sword in his side, blood spurts out. He falls down, and the armor bearer comes over, boom. Brains, eyeballs, and skulls slides everywhere. <laughs> Amen. See, you don't have a good imagination. He killed him. <laughs> and this kept going on until it said they had killed 20 now, there's 400 there, but he's killed 20. But God says, that's my boy. Look, he's killed 20 of them. I love the way he fights. But he says, he's done all he can do. Okay, Michael, take your war angels. Sweep down on our bring confusion and fear and cause them to start fighting one another and cause the Israelites that they made go to war with them, let them turn against them, and they did, and they got the victory, and the Philistines were driven out of the land, and they were free from their oppression. One person, one, one David, one Jonathan, then a Gideon 300. This church is going to raise up some Davids, some Jonathans, and some Gideon 300s. Amen. Hallelujah. Now.